You are listening to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 14. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I want to do something a little bit different than I've been doing on the past podcasts. And the reason that I am changing it up a little bit is um, I had a suggestion from my son yesterday. I was talking to him on the phone. Um, He is the person that does my sound editing for me and also wrote the music that is for my intro. And he does, um, he has to listen to me every week, so he hears everything that I talk about to you. And as I was talking to him yesterday on the phone, he said, Mom, I think you should just tell some of your stories. And I said, well, what, what exactly do you mean? And he said, well, you have so many cool veterinary stories that you're always telling us. I think you should probably talk about some of those stories. So I got to thinking about it, and I really do have a lot of um, fascinating stories and fascinating clients. Um, and I thought that might be fun. So as I was thinking about it, I thought you know, how can we make this meaningful? Um, I just don't want to sit here and tell all my stories because I know a lot of you have them as well. Um, And I think it would be fun to share them. But how could we make this uh, applicable to helping us have a better attitude towards our profession? Because that's really what this podcast is about, is how do we have a better attitude How do we learn to love our job and profession in spite of, you know, how hard it is? So as I was thinking about that, I got to thinking about the James Harriet books. Now, I um, was alive back in the 70s when James Harriet books came out. And that was the time for me that I was dreaming as a kid about being a veterinarian. And so those books, uh, for me, were very meaningful and very exciting because, you know, even though those books were written in the 70s, they were written about a time um, back in the 40s. And so medicine was very primitive back then, but the people and the day-to-day change that we see and the excitement and the craziness uh, that we all experience, it was all the same. Um, James Harriet's life as a veterinarian was more difficult than ours because he was a farm vet out there, you know, laying in the muck. And it was before even um, the development of things like penicillin. So his life, it could be said, was much crazier than ours. However, I think if you read the books um, and get a feel for, you know, how he saw the profession and the wonder and the excitement and the humor that he saw in it, I think it it relates. It relates to us today. And so I thought I'd start the podcast with a little discussion about James Harriet and the books that he wrote, and then um, throw in some of my own stories, and then also encourage you to share your stories with me. Um, So at the end of the podcast, I'll give you some ways to contact me if you want to share your stories. And um, I think it would just be a good way for us to 
learn a little bit more about why we chose this profession in the first place and maybe on a daily basis to have a little bit different outlook towards it and maybe look for the humor in it instead of all the difficulty that we have a tendency to focus on. So I thought I'd first give you a short biography of James Harriet. Um, his real name was James Alfred White, W-I-G-H-T, and his pen name was James Harriet. And he was born in 1916 in Sunderland, England. Um, and he died in 1995. So he was known as Alfred White, um, and he began his career as a veterinarian in 1940. He was also um, in the Royal Air Force, and he returned from the Air Force in 1942 to continue a career in providing care for animals, mostly in cattle and horses, um, because that's what they did back then in England. It was mostly farming. But there are a lot of stories in the books about his work in small animal medicine as well. And it was a new developing field. Um, so according to the biography, he didn't really start writing until the 60s. In 1966, he was writing, um, trying to write books on soccer. And they weren't getting very much interest from publishers. So his wife basically started encouraging him to um, continue writing. And in 1969, he decided to write a book about his life as a veterinarian. That book was called All Creatures Great and Small. And then that turned into a series of books um, that I will, let's see if I can read them out to you. All Creatures Great and Small was the first one. The second one was um, All Things Bright and Beautiful. The third one was All Things Wise and Wonderful. And the fourth one was The Lord God Made Them All. And they were named after a poem. Not, not necessarily in that order. The poem starts with All Things Bright and Beautiful. But the first book that he wrote was All Creatures Great and Small. And it was published, um, like I said, in 1970. So that's when he became very popular. It became very successful. It was published in the UK, but um, pretty much took off in the US as well um, under the name of James Harriet. And it, the reason that he used the pen name was because back then veterinarians were not allowed to advertise their services in Britain. And so he had to write under a different name so he wouldn't get in trouble um, for advertising his services uh, there in England. And then he wrote some other books as well, and they're all um, about his life as a veterinarian. And if you haven't read All Creatures Great and Small, it's, it's about a time that we don't really understand. Um, the medicine was so different. The... Um, the way that they practice was so different, but the feeling is there. You know, the, the reason that we got into this profession in the first place is there. So I'd really encourage you to read it, especially if you're struggling with, um, you know, loving your job. Um, this guy loved his job. He basically was grateful for every day that he had and every 
terrible thing that happened to him laying out in the snow in the muck um, with no shirt on, trying to pull a calf out of a cow with no drugs. I mean, the way he describes it is really fascinating and really entertaining. So I would definitely um, encourage you to read those books. So in the spirit of James Harriet, um, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories of mine and um, one actually from today and the lessons that I think we can learn from our stories. And then um, I'm going to also read, I think, a couple quotes from James Harriet, um, if, if I can. Uh, I just want you to embrace the spirit of it because I really think that some days when we're at work and we're busy and, you know, we're running from room to room and, you know, people are ungrateful or in a hurry and caught up in their cell phones, you know, we forget to appreciate what we've got. We get to appreciate, we forget to appreciate, you know, how good we really have it because, you know, what a cool job we have. And I say that all the time, um, but I really believe it. You know, even when I'm complaining, I just, I don't know, I think it's cool. So um, the story that I wanted to tell first, and this is something that happened today, which is, you know, pretty amazing, but it's a super simple story, but I think it really, um, I think it really applies to what we want to do every day and how we want to serve our clients. So um, I work today. It was Monday. And on Monday, I have all my doctors there in the hospital and there's five of us. And um, they, the four of them, see clients, and I do not. My Mondays are my paperwork days. So I go in there. Um, I do things like write up records and do billing and, you know, talk to people and work with um, problems that have come up, you know, work with the manager to get ready for staff meetings. You know, whatever comes up in the day, that's my Monday. And sometimes on Monday, if it's really busy and we get in the weeds, I'll see clients, and I did see one today. Um, but that's basically what my Monday's all about. So anyway, I um, sometimes leave a little bit early on Monday. So today I was getting ready to leave, and it was a very bright, sunny day, which is unusual for Michigan this time of year, but it's starting to break with spring. And so the day was sunny, and it was probably about 40, I don't know, 42, 45 degrees. So it wasn't warm, but it was definitely warmer than winter. And um, I was getting ready to leave the hospital, and it was buzzing, and clients were there. It was probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I walked through the um, reception area, and there was a few clients there that I knew. So I greeted them and said hello to their pets and kind of watched what was going on in the reception area, said goodbye to my receptionist, told him I would see him tomorrow. And I walked out in the parking lot. And interestingly, as I walked out in the parking lot to my left, you know, the cars are kind of parked along, you know, the side of the parking lot and down the middle. And as I'm walking out to my car, which is parked way in the back of the parking lot, and we have a pretty good sized parking lot, I look to my left and on the ground next to a car is a big blanket. And on the blanket is this dog, um, German Shepherd type dog, in a harness. And on the blanket is one of my doctors, one of my technicians, a um, woman who was holding the dog, which um, was the dog's owner. And it looked like the owner's daughter, I'm guessing. So there was four people. And they were sitting on a blanket in the parking lot next to a car in the 
you know, outside. Now, it was a beautiful day, so it wasn't um, a terrible place to be. However, um, the reason they were out there is because this particular dog has very high anxiety when he comes in, into the office, and they found that if they can keep this dog in the parking lot, that things go easier and better, and the dog doesn't have to be tranquilized, and, you know, we can do what we need to do. So... God bless my doctor and my technician. They were out in the parking lot sitting on a blanket working on this dog. And so as I walked by, I looked at what was going on and they were all kind of talking and, you know, doing what they needed to do. And the owner looked up at me and saw me and she kind of raised her hand and waved. And so I kind of waved back and I wasn't too far away so I could hear what she was saying. And she said, Dr. Capel, you have the best people. Look at how great they are. And I laughed and I said, yeah, you're right. They're, they're awesome, aren't they? And she said, yeah, look what they're doing for me. And so that was it. I mean, that was the big story. But, you know, seeing what was going on and how happy this client was that my doctor was on her hands and knees in the parking lot on a blanket you know, examining this dog and the technician was out there um, with her helping her out. And I'm assuming they were drawing blood and doing vaccines or whatever they had to do for this dog's, um, you know, appointment. Um, I don't even know exactly what the dog was there for, but just the fact that the owner was so, so appreciative. And she said, your people are the best, Dr. Capel. I can't believe how great they are. And, you know, that's something that we tend to forget is how much our clients appreciate us when we step up and do the right thing and and um, go above and beyond what's expected. Because there's no reason that we had to go out in the parking lot to take care of this pet. That isn't part of our job description. And my doctor could have complained and my tech could have complained and you know, said, you have to bring your pet in and we'll tranquilize it or drug it before it comes in. And all those things could have happened. But, you know, how much better is this dog's life going to be and is? And how appreciative is this client? And how many people is she going to tell how great we are because we accommodated her and her pet? And so I really think that that is something that we need to remember. And, you know, my other doctor, one of my other doctors that was there today had a house call for the exact same reason. She went to a house call at noon today and it was because, um, you know, this woman's dog, another woman obviously has a dog that has anxiety about coming to the hospital. And so she calls us and says, you know, would there be a time that somebody could come to the house and look at my dog's ears? And we absolutely do that. You know, it, we don't do it without a charge. Obviously, we, char we charge for what we do. But just the fact that we're willing to, you know, spend our lunchtime going to her house to figure out, you know, what we can do for her dog's ears. And, you know, it's challenging because we don't have a microscope. We can't do a cytology of the ears until we get back to the hospital. So they have to um, improvise a little bit to make these things happen. But that's part of part of why we're doing what we do and, and part of why it's so wonderful. And so, you know, I really want to encourage you to think that way when your clients are challenging you that, you know, the, the little things that you do don't go unnoticed. People really do appreciate what we do. 
and, um, you know, tell their friends. And, you know, this woman couldn't have been any happier sitting out in this parking lot on a blanket, it, you know, on the asphalt, because our parking lot is not the greatest. You know, we have potholes and gravel and you know, it's not it's not in the best of shape every day, especially after a Michigan winter. And she was thrilled. She was absolutely thrilled that my doctor and tech were out there helping her and her pet. So I just, I don't know. I just thought that was cool. And the fact that it happened today when I was thinking about doing this podcast is even more cool. So my lesson from that is, you know, remember how much you're appreciated by your clients because the crabby ones, our brain wants to hang on to, but we sometimes forget the great ones. And, and most of them are great. I mean, in my experience, you know, you got to go with the 80-20 rule is 80% of our people are super appreciative and super happy to be where they are. So I just thought that was an awesome thing. Um, okay, so let's let me read a quote from James Harriet's books um, because I think this quote that I found um, was really interesting. Now, this was a quote that he's basically quoting his instructor. So when he was in veterinary school, this is something his instructor said to him. And I think this is really applicable even today. So, you know, if he was born in, what did I say, 1916, and he went to veterinary school when he was, say, 20. So this was back in the 30s that this was said, and, and it really applies. So this quote says, quote, if you decide to become a veterinary surgeon, you will never grow rich, but you will have a life of endless interest and variety. And isn't that true? Um, our life is rich in interest and variety, not always financially, although I think it's gotten better over the years for us financially and it continues to improve. But think of how rich our life is and um, in variety. So um, another story that I wanted to tell you, um, and this is a story that I I think I think it basically points to how much love people have for their pets. This is a story that I can't forget. It happened quite a few years ago, probably right now, many years ago. You know, things to me seem like they happened yesterday, but it's probably at least ten years ago, maybe longer that um, I had a client, and I think I still have this client to this day. In fact, I'm sure I do. Um, she does no longer has this pet, obviously, but um, she has other pets that she comes to us with. But anyway, this woman is super sweet, super nice, um, a little eccentric, and I think even if she um, heard me describe her as such, she would agree. Um, and she's had many different kind of pets over the years, but at one time in her life, she had a field mouse. Now, the reason she had a field mouse is when it was a baby, she had set out mouse traps, I guess. Um, and you know how they have those sticky glue mouse traps, which are really horrible to veterinarians. If you've ever seen an animal caught in one, it's it's horrendous. Um, I've taken a few birds off of these sticky traps, um, and it's not not a fun experience. But anyway, she had put out somewhere. Um, around her house these sticky glue traps and for some reason and I don't know why she was surprised but a field mouse baby got caught in the trap 
Now, I guess if it had been an adult, maybe she wouldn't have felt so bad, but because it was a baby, she felt horrible, and she proceeded to rescue this baby mouse. So fast forward to, I don't know how much later, a year later, whatever, she's got a pet field mouse. And I don't recall his name. It might have been something like, hmm, I don't remember, Fuzzy maybe, I don't know. But anyway, she had a field mouse. Now, she's got this field mouse. If you've ever seen a field mouse, they are smaller than one of those mini hamsters. So I don't know if you've ever seen a mini hamster, but they probably weigh 30 grams, 35 grams, if you have a frame of reference. A field mouse probably weighs 20 grams. So in my mind, 20 grams is a canary. So I don't know what you need to you know, equate that to, but I weigh a lot of birds, and so I always think of different weights of grams as birds. So a 20-gram field mouse is about the size of a canary. Um, and kind of even smaller because they're heavier. They don't have, um, you know, canaries are a little bit bigger. So this tiny, tiny little field mouse comes in to me one day, and this woman is super in love with this mouse. You know, not even, it's like a dog to her or a cat to her. And this mouse has developed a tumor. Now on a 20 gram mouse, I would say this tumor is about the size of an eraser head, maybe a little bit bigger. So to this mouse, this is a huge tumor. You know, to me, it's tiny, but to this mouse, it's big. So it's like us having a, maybe a basketball on the side of us. So anyway, she comes in with this field mouse. He's got a tumor. So I'm thinking, is somebody really going to do surgery on a field mouse that weighs 20 grams? So I basically tell her, look, I think it's a tumor. I could aspirate it, but I'm going to have to anesthetize him to do that. I think that our best bet if we really want to do the right thing with this tumor is we have to surgically remove it. So of course, of course she's on board with this. Um, she is more enthusiastic than I am, obviously, because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 20 gram field mouse. How am I going to keep this thing alive through this major surgery? So anyway, she's on board. Let's do it. So I did the surgery on the field mouse. And I do surgery on a lot of tiny patients because I do exotics. And so the tininess of it isn't as hard for me as, you know, it, it is in a lot of cases. But the idea of it, you know, this is a wild field mouse. Um, they're, they have these big feet. They can jump. You know, they're, they're different. They're, they're not like a pet mouse. But anyway, we did the surgery. So I got the tumor off, you know, sewed it up, glued the skin, whatever I, I did, and he survived. So how awesome. She's thrilled. Great. Goes home happily ever after, I think, right? Wrong. So I don't know, three months later, let's say, here she comes back. He's got another tumor. Now, I think if I remember correctly, it was in the exact same spot as the original. So it was a regrowth um, as far as I remember. And here we are again, same situation, tiny little field mouse. I don't even know how long they live. You know, you can't imagine they'd live more than a couple years. But um, this thing's at least two or three at, by this point, I think it was. So anyway, Yes, she wants to do the surgery. Let's go, Dr. Capel. We can't lose my little fuzzy mouse. I'm going to call him fuzzy. So, okay, here we go. Surgery number two. Dr. Capel's more nervous than she was the first time. 
but let's do it. Let's do it. And and I'm telling you, when I say I'm nervous, it's nervous because this lady, bless her heart, she's fabulous. She's an awesome client. She'll do anything for her pets, but she is going to be devastated if this little mouse dies. So I have this pressure on me, right, to keep this thing alive. And and now I'm thinking, okay, I was lucky the first time that I got the tumor off. Now I got to do it again. Okay, here we go. Do it again. Dang thing lives. All right. Surgery number two. Great. Here you go. All right. Now you know where the story's going to go. Six months later, probably three to six months later, here Fuzzy comes back. He's got another tumor. I Can you really believe that somebody would put a field mouse that she rescued from the field? I mean, he's a wild mouse that she keeps as a pet. And um, I don't know how good of a pet he is, but he's a pet. T- surgery, tumor surgery, number three. And I am, I kid you not, I did surgery on this field mouse three times for a tumor. Now, and it worked and we got it off for the third time. Now, this story would be done because you would think after three times with cancer, this mouse would die. But the story gets even better because months later, luckily, the tumor didn't grow back a third time. I guess the third time was the charm. I got it off. But now this little mouse comes back to see my colleague, my, one of the other doctors in my practice, because he's having a urinary tract problem and he's blocked. He cannot urinate. And so the the funny thing and the the humor of me watching my other doctor anesthetizing this little mouse and trying to pass a catheter on this thing and actually trying to find something small enough to pass a catheter on a field mouse. Um, It was super entertaining, but bless her heart. She did it. She unblocked this mouse and she still talks about it to this day, how absurd the whole process was. And I was there that day. So, you know, the two of us were brainstorming and let's try this and let's try that. And, and we finally were able to, you know, get this poor little thing unblocked and send him home again. And, oh my gosh, he was like the mouse that, you know, could never die. And he, and he has since passed. And I don't even remember to tell you the truth exactly, you know, what the cause of his death was. But um, well, he was like, you know, a cat with nine lives, this little field mouse. So I tell that story because it's an awesome story, obviously, you know, after three tumor surgeries and then a urinary blockage, you know, this 20 gram field mouse um, went through all of these surgeries and survived. And the fact that my my poor doctor, um, she just laughs. She goes, I can't even believe it, Capel, that, you know, you, you let me see the stupid field mouse that was blocked and I had to unblock it. And I can't even believe we were even trying to do that. And, you know, she just goes on and on. So it's, it's pretty funny. We still talk to talk about it to this day, how absurd that little mouse was, but man, he was tough. So if you ever have a client with a field mouse, um, the lesson is don't give up on them. And I, and I think that story is a really, great example of how much our clients can love their pets. And, you know, this client is, is eccentric, but man, you know, she, she's not the only one. There's a ton of them out there that will go above and beyond for, you know, even the smallest of creatures. And so 
you know, this kind of relates back to the all creatures great and small thing with um, James Harriet is this was one of the smallest creatures that, you know, I work on. Um, I do sugar gliders and, you know, canaries and finches and things like that. But this thing was little, you know, 20 grams. And he might have even been smaller than that. I think when he came in for his urinary blockage, he was more like 15 grams because at that point he was getting a little bit older. But, you know, that's crazy small. And so, you know, we might see um, farm animals, some of you, um, Great Danes, things like that. And then this little 20 gram, 15 gram mouse, you know, it's crazy. So it is all creatures great and small. And, and that's what we do. And, you know, how cool is that? I just think it's really cool. So let me read another quote from James Harriet, because I had one more. And then maybe we'll do one more story. Um, this quote um, was from one of his books, and he's basically narrating um, as he's driving in the morning to his job. And um, James Harriet says, at times it seemed unfair that I should be paid for my work, for driving out in the early morning with the fields glittering under the first pale sunshine and the wisps of mist still hanging on the high tops. He was describing his love of spring in the Yorkshire Dales. And that's what he did is drive out every morning to do his job and observe the beautiful landscape and the spring after the, the harsh winter. And he was so optimistic and narrative, you know, the way he describes the, the um, you know, early morning glittering fields. I mean, it's just, it sounds so cool. And, and sometimes I try to think of this when I'm driving to work in the morning. You know, obviously I'm in the suburbs and I'm driving down, you know, a mile road with a bunch of other traffic. But sometimes I just look out and if I see a field and I see sunshine and, you know, dew on the grass, I think, oh yeah, James Harriet was right. You know, even though I'm not going to a farm and the scenery is not beautiful, you know, I'm going to do a really cool job. And um, how, how exciting that there's sunshine and, and beauty around us. And, you know, we need to take the time to, to look at it. So thanks, James Harriet, for that. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you one more story, and this story is super fun and interesting, um, and this particular client, um, is somebody that, um, I don't see anymore, and I don't know that these people are even around anymore, but, um, this story comes from quite a few years ago, and, um, it's a, it's a story that I've used in, in, um, one of my blogs, but it's a really cool story, and I think it illustrates how trusting our clients be can become of us. And I'll try to keep it sort of short, but um, this story is about a little fat cocker spaniel. Um, kind of looked like an ottoman, you know, those dogs that should weigh 25 pounds and they weigh 50. Well, this was this little dog, and um, I'm going to call him Buffy. Um, that wasn't really his name, but that's what I'm going to call him. And he belonged to this little Polish couple and they were older people. Um, but they loved this dog. They brought this dog in religiously for his wellness care and took really, really good care of them. They didn't speak English very well. Um, the husband spoke better than the wife, 
Um, but they were just the cutest people and they were so happy every time they came in and they just loved me and, and their dog was super cute. He'd wag his little stubby tail, even though he was so fat, he had a hard time walking. But anyway, these people were just great. And when I was talking to them, they were a little bit hard to understand because of the language barrier. But usually what would happen is the husband would talk and he'd tell me what was wrong with the pet in his broken English. And then I would basically listen really, really carefully because I didn't always get it all. And then I would repeat it back to him um, to make sure I was getting it. So he would say, you know, the pet isn't eating well or whatever he'd tell me or the pet's doing great, whatever he'd say. And so I would always repeat it back and he would nod his head if I got it right. And his wife, who didn't really understand English at all, she would sit in the chair. It was so cute. I still remember her. And she would just smile at me and she had this big, cute smile and she would just nod her head. Every time I would say something, she'd nod her head. Now, I didn't really know if she understood what I was saying, and I think half the time she didn't. But when I would say something about the dog, how cute he was or how great he was, she would just nod her head. So I, I still remember how cute she was. But anyway, that's this is how it would go. He would speak. I would repeat it. He would either say yes or no, and then he would correct me if I was wrong, or he would nod his head. And she was always nodding her head. She was just smiling and nodding. And sometimes she would talk a little bit, but um, she didn't understand very well. And, and she didn't speak very well either. So sometimes I had a hard time understanding her. But anyway, they were delightful. So, you know, cut to this one day, they call the office because they had take, oh, part of the story, let me back up a little bit. Part of the story with this dog was he was so, so, so fat that I, every time they came in, I would say, you know, and I tried to be kind about it, but you know, he was fat. So I'd say, you know, he's really, really overweight. We need to get some weight off of him, you know, and, and she always understood this for some reason. She understood when I would say he was heavy and she was like, oh no, doctor, he doesn't eat. Or she'd say, duck, doctor. She'd say, he doesn't, he doesn't eat very much. He doesn't eat. And so I would say, well, what does he eat? You know, tell me. And then she would go on with this list. Well, he eats a little bit of toast and a little bit of butter and a little bit of peanut butter. And then he eats a sandwich at lunch. And then he, eat, you know, she would just give me this huge list of food that he ate. But he doesn't eat very much. He's not a very good eater, she'd always say, you know, in her broken English. And her husband would agree, you know, he doesn't eat much at all. So anyway, I, for years, this went on with me telling him he was fat and, you know, he was just as happy as he could be, but he was, you know, he was huge. He could hardly stand up sometimes. And, um, you know, he was just a, a big, fat, happy dog and the people wouldn't stop feeding him, you know, because he didn't eat very well. He wasn't a very good eater, they'd always tell me. So anyway, all that to say, one day, apparently at home, they would take him for a drive every day. So he didn't go for a walk, which is what he really needed. He went for a drive. So apparently the husband would load him into the car, drive him around, and then bring him home. So one afternoon, they went on their ride, came home. And instead of the dog jumping from the floor of the car to the cement, the dog, for whatever reason, jumped from the seat of the car to the cement, which was a much bigger jump. Now, this dog, like I said, was double his weight. So when he landed on the cement on his two little front feet, they basically gave away. So they called in a panic. 
their dog was screaming, his legs were broken, you know, they were freaking out. So, you know, they rushed him in and it was in the middle of the day. I think it was around lunchtime. And so we obviously went and saw him and I, and I talked to them and they were hysterical. And, you know, we carried him in on a little stretcher because he couldn't walk. And, you know, from what I could tell just by examining him, he really had messed up his carpal joints. You know, I think he just basically blew them out and ripped all the tendons. And so, you know, I tried to explain to them that we needed to x-ray him and give him some pain meds, which we did. And we x-rayed him. And and I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. So, you know, I looked at the x-rays and it looked like his carpal joints were <clears throat> pretty well destroyed, but um, not a lot of fractures, which was amazing. Um, so I think it was mostly ligament damage. Um, but I called my friend who is an awesome orthopedic surgeon and works at a specialty hospital that she owns and she's amazing. So I called her and I told her what had happened and I told her what the x-rays looked like and she was like, absolutely send them over, you know, I'll take care of, I'll take care of his legs. So we kind of gave him, you know, wrapped his legs up. We had already given him some pain meds, got him all ready to go. So I went out into the reception area because it was during lunchtime. There weren't any other clients. And I started talking to the two of these beautiful people about what was going on with their dog and explaining to them that, you know, he was going to need surgery. His joints were in trouble and that, you know, the only way this was going to be fixed was to send him to the orthopedic surgeon. And he understood, you know, I explained and explained this is what's happening and and she listened and smiled and nodded like she always did and smiled at me and kept smiling at me. And, you know, she was upset, obviously, because she knew something bad was wrong. But as I explained, she would nod and nod like she understood. And so um, I and we were getting things ready in the paperwork. And then all of a sudden, the, the really fun, interesting part of the story is, you know, I was kind of pointing at my arms and legs as I explained the surgery that, you know, she's going to have to open up this joint. She's going to have to do, you know, the things that she told me she was going to have to do. And all of a sudden, the little Polish lady that couldn't understand English, I think she got it. She understood what I was talking about, that I was talking about surgery because her husband was getting it. He understood and he was ready. He's like, yep, let's do it. Let's get ready to go over there. And the dog wasn't up there yet. And she, this cute little older woman, um, stands up like as she's nodding her head at me stands up and literally takes her pants right from her waist all the way down to the floor in the middle of my reception area she just literally dropped her pants to the floor and I and I'm kind of on the other side of the reception desk but I'm looking over because she I was talking to them over the reception desk at this point and she was nodding her head like, I get it. I get it. You know, she could tell she got it as she dropped her pants to the floor. She's showing me her knees and on both of her knees, she's got scars. So she had knee surgery. And the reason she was dropping her pants for me is so she could show me that she also had surgery on her legs, like she was understanding that her dog was going to have and that it was OK, that it was going to be OK, because I told her he's going to be fine. He just needs surgery. And, um, it was, it was amazing. Like I was shocked, obviously, when somebody's standing in your waiting room in their underwear and, and just as happy as can be, like she didn't, she didn't have any, you know, 
she wasn't embarrassed. She did, she didn't seem to notice that, you know, I could see her big white underwear that she was wearing. Um, but she was showing me her knee surgery. And so, you know, as I have to do many times in exam rooms, because, you know, you can't react to everything clients say and what you, the way you really want to react, like, oh my God, your pants are on the floor. You know, I just had to smile and nod and, and say, yeah, I, I get it. You get it. You know what's going to happen. And and so I just smiled and nodded and, you know, and, and said, yeah, that's exactly it. He's going to have surgery just like you instead of, oh, my God, your pants are on the floor, you know. But it was such a great story. And to this day, it's one of my favorite stories that's happened to me. I mean, I have a ton of them um, that I think we'll talk about some more on another podcast. Um, but that is one of my favorite stories because, you know, to, to show that kind of trust and love um, you know, obviously she trusted us at the veterinary hospital to drop her pants in the middle of the waiting room and not care that we were looking at her in her underwear. And just the love that she had for the dog, that she was so concerned, you know, crying when she brought him in with the, the legs all messed up. And then as I'm talking to her and telling her he's going to be okay after he has surgery, her understanding, like the light bulb going off over her head that she got it, you know, she really understood that this dog was going to go to have surgery. So you know, that is my dropped pants story. And uh, probably till the day I die, it'll be one of my favorite stories. But to me, it just means, you know, she, it just showed her love and it just showed how much she trusted me. And I really felt honored, you know, to this day. It makes tears to come to my eyes that, and I, and I think these people are probably long gone, you know, because the story happened a long time ago and they were they were older at the time and, you know, now I'm getting older. So, um, I don't know exactly how old they were, but, uh, I imagine that they're no longer with us and I know for sure the dog isn't, but you know, what a great, great thing to have happen. And, and what an honor, you know, that somebody trusts you enough to show you their underwear, you know, how cool is that? So I tell you these stories and talk about James Harriet because I really want to be encouraging with this podcast, encouraging us to appreciate our profession and appreciate how great uh, we are, you know, how great our, our profession is. And, you know, when we're in the weeds and we're feeling stressed and we're overwhelmed and, you know, we want to we want to feel sorry for ourselves. I just want us to remember some of these cool things that happened to us. And, um, you know, embrace it, embrace it for what it is. And, and remember that we, this is why we do it. We do it because people appreciate us and people love us and people love their animals. And, you know, what better, what better thing? Um, all right. I have another quote from James Harriet to kind of close this up. And I thought this was, this was fun because, um, this kind of sums up up how we feel most days when we're not having these cool, fun things happen to us. And the quote says, quote, why had I entered this profession? Question mark. I could have gone for something easier and gentler, like coal mining or lumberjacking. So that's from the book, All Things Wise and Wonderful. And isn't that true? Uh, some days, don't we want to be coal miners or lumberjacks? Don't we think that would be easier? Um, but I say no. I say um, our job is great and we need to keep trucking in that direction. We need to keep enriching ourselves and training our minds to see our, 
our profession for the great thing that it is. Okay, everybody, um, that's enough of my droning on and my stories. I hope that you've enjoyed them and I hope that you get something out of this. Please, 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 if you haven't read the James Harriet books, I guarantee you they're well worth it. I think when I was younger, I read them oh, probably at least three or four times and watched the TV. There is a TV show. It's an old show, so you might not enjoy that, but um, there was a TV show that was made in Britain. Um, it's just, they're just really good books. And I think that the messages carry over in today, today even, um, you know, even though the, the ugh, sorry, even though the medicine's different, um, I think the lessons still apply. If you are enjoying the podcast, please let me know. You can email me at jacapeldvm at gmail.com. You can go to my website, juliecapel.com, and leave me a message there. You can sign up for my weekly words, I call it. Every Wednesday, I send out a very short email message um, at no cost, just basically kind of little words of encouragement and kind of like a mini blog almost, um, and it's around the things that I'm blogging about. You can find me my blogs um, every Sunday on Blogger, or you can reach them through my website as well. I'm also on Facebook, uh, The Veterinary Life, um, and you can find me there and leave me um, one of your stories or a message. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. So please share with me your stories. I'd love to hear them. And if you do share your stories with me, I promise I'll talk about them on the podcast. Um, I just think we all need to support each other. And I think if we can talk about the fun things that happen, um, and sometimes even the bad things that happen, and learn lessons from them, I think we will feel more connected and um, on the same page. So have a beautiful week. I appreciate you all. I love the fact that you're listening. And I will see you next week. Bye.